Hey babe, welcome to the She Factor Podcast, a space where we believe empowered women empower women. We're here to inspire, encourage, and equip you to live your best life and find your purpose. Join me every week as we dish out real life tips and tricks on all things juicy, inspiring, and educational, but of course, never boring. I'm Tori Ganahl, a millennial woman on my own journey to She, and your host of the She Factor Podcast. Grab your favorite cocktail or Starbucks drink and settle in for real, raw, and hilarious conversations as we dive into what makes us as women unstoppable. I like to start um, just by asking a few like hot seat type style questions for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So you ready to go? Yes. Cool. So you only get three words to describe yourself. What are they? Rebellious, intuitive, and resilient. Ooh, those are good ones. Thank I you. like those ones. <laughs> um, mountains, beach, or city? If I have to choose mountains. Interesting. Not what I would have expected from you now as living in LA. <laughs> totally. I do love the beach a second. My favorite cities are the cities that kind of fuse all three. So uh, it's a hard question, but I do love being in the mountains and kind of like away from it all. Totally. If you could be any fictional character, who would you be? TV, books, movies, anything? Super embarrassing answer, but uh, I've been binging the remake of Dynasty and Fallon Carrington speaks to me a lot. She's just like the right amount of drama and cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love that. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? And if so, what is it? I've read a few books that have changed my life in different ways, but one that comes to mind is 168 Hours, which is a book on time management. And it completely reshaped the way that I just think about my weeks and the time that I have and, and what I fill it with. Awesome. Um, and then what was the last concert you went to? My sister and I just went to a Sean Mendez concert, which was really embarrassing. Ooh. We were like twice the age of the average person there, but it was still a lot of fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. I love Sean Mendez. I you know, sometimes great. you just gotta bring out your inner child fangirl, you know? Sometimes it's fun to go back and you let your let your teeny bopper out for sure. But it was it was so much fun. He puts on a great show and I love his music, so <laughs> awesome. Love to hear it. Well, let's get started. Let's just jump right into it. So you've had such an amazing start to your career, especially for still being in your 20s. You went to Harvard for college and started your own company, and now you're a branding director. So tell me a little bit more about your journey from your perspective and how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, it's been a wild ride for sure. I think that if there's one kind of defining factor, it's that I'm someone who's very comfortable just going with the flow and walking through doors when they open. And so it's been a lot of unexpected opportunities that turn into beautiful things. When I graduated from college, I just kind of dove straight into startup land. I had always been attracted to the the concept of uh, new ventures and the idea of introducing the world to a new idea. And so being able to join an early stage startup and contribute to the marketing and branding and community building there uh, was very exciting to me. And so that was what I did for my first couple of jobs. And then I very quickly working in the startup world in Boston, just discovered how difficult the industry can be 
for women and for women of color specifically. Uh, And being in a marketing role was probably one of the easier roles to be in as a woman and as a woman of color, but it was definitely, definitely still had its challenges. Uh, And I was lucky enough to end up working with some really incredible women at the companies that I started my career at. And we ended, they had similar experiences to me, unfortunately, of just feeling like they were loving the work that they were doing, but forced to work within companies uh, where the culture just wasn't created for them. And when we got to talking over like wine and pizza one night, uh, we found out that we all had these really similar experiences and decided to take a step back from our careers and figure out if we could do some work or do continue to do the work that mattered to us so much, but to do it in a context that we could define for ourselves. And so myself and then my then two partners started Six Things, which was a branding and creative agency that we ran from 2016 until a couple months ago, which was a really beautiful experience. And I ultimately ended up joining the team of one of my client or one of our former clients, which is Brooklyn Boulders, and joined as their new marketing director in March of this year, which is wild. It's been crazy. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's so awesome. And I'm sure it's fun to have kind of a fresh start, new city, everything along those lines. I'd love to know what that was like deciding to move on from the company that you started into a new career. What did that look like for you? Oh my gosh, it was hard. (laughs) It was so hard. Uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, it was something that I had to do a lot of wrestling with personally. And then with my relationships, I, there's a couple different pieces of it. I think at first I, I realized and pinpointed the pieces of entrepreneurship that didn't work for me. And that was something that was hard enough to work through on my own, like within the space of my own brain, because being an entrepreneur had become such an integral part of my identity and how I walked through this world. Even in the three years, I think that once you put that label on yourself, it, it's so easy to to cling to. It's something that uh, we as a society, I think, value so much that it it becomes a stamp of pride even before your company is successful, which is really funny. But I, I had to wrestle with what I didn't like about it. I had to wrestle with the fact that I really did want more formal mentorship, which is one of the things that I really love about this new company. I have a boss that I feel like is so committed to helping me in my career and helping me grow into the type of executive that I would like love to be one day. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing to have uh, a team of people who have built really successful careers rooting for you and guiding you through your work. And so getting to that brain space and coming to terms with the fact that that was what I wanted was definitely the hardest thing. But then there was having those conversations with my business partners about like what was the next move for me. I've always been the type of person who it goes back to what I said before about like seeing doors open and being willing to walk through it. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of us who feel drawn to some sort of sort of change in our lives, but don't let ourselves actually pull the trigger and go and explore this new thing that we feel drawn to. And so for me, it was just really important to be able to dive into entrepreneurship when that opportunity was there to make a name for myself. I'm incredibly proud of the work that we did with Six Things. And I'm so grateful for the years that I spent working with my partners who are all doing really incredible things now as well. But at the same time, I'm grateful that I was also able to get to a place where I knew that it was time for what was next. How did they react to that? Were they you know, accepting of it? Were they upset? What did that conversation look like? Yeah. So I, one of the beautiful things about the culture of Six Things uh, is that we built it so much 
on our friendship that we were able to really manage in a unique way. I think rooting for each other and rooting for our business. And when you're wearing so many hats in a relationship, one of my business partners was also my roommate and my best friend. So like navigating all of these roles that you feel the need to play to one person can be very difficult. But I think because we spent three years really refining the ways that we communicate our needs and our expectations and our disappointments even, it ended up being a really meaningful conversation. It's always sad to walk away from a company that you started. It's hard to walk away from anything that you worked years for. And so there was definitely an extent to which I think we were all uh, disappointed. There's an extent to which I was honestly heartbroken. But at the same time, uh, just because you have to walk, like you don't need to convince yourself that something is bad to walk away from it. And I think that was uh, where I needed to get and where we all needed to get was where we could celebrate how wonderful an experience it was and also understand that it was time for the next stage. Totally. I kind of want to go back to the adversity you faced um, in your first role. You know, you said, especially being a woman of color um, and I'm sure especially being young as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that adversity and how is that going for you today? Do you feel like you still face that adversity or has it changed for you? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like within the the world of innovation and technology, I think that the script just wasn't written for women to be involved from the start. One of my co-founders at Six Things, her first job, she was a she's a UX designer. And, on, and at her first job, I think it was her first job, it might have been her second, but at one of her early jobs uh, at a startup in Boston, she on her first day asked her boss where the women's restroom was and they didn't know. Like there's, oh, wow. <laughs> there's there are so many pieces of these experiences where it doesn't necessarily need to be this like major confrontation, but these little microaggressions that just kind of remind you that the space wasn't created for you and they add up. The main frustration that I experienced as a, a young woman working in startups in Boston was that I had, I worked for t- a couple different companies, some with younger men, like fresh out of business school, trying to figure it out, first time entrepreneurs, and some for more uh, leg- uh, legacy entrepreneurs, people who had done it a few times. I've noticed that the ways in which they navigated around women, the ways in which they attempted to relate to women were just like deeply inappropriate and uncomfortable. Uh, and so it, were just, it was just consistent interactions where you felt like you didn't entirely belong there. Or uh, I never felt unsafe, but I also never felt seen and never felt respected. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I mean, I before obviously working for She Factor, worked for IT staffing company where I was meeting with these tech, huge tech companies every day. And, you know, it, it, it's so true. They, It's just like the, I don't want to say ignorance, but it kind of is an ignorance to just something different and something that they're not used to. But it goes a lot further than that. And I would never go so far as to assume bad intentions either. Um, I think it was really just a lack of intention. And if you don't approach creating an inclusive workspace with a certain level of intentionality, then it's not going to happen. And so I think for me, it was really, can I walk away from spaces that were not thoughtfully designed and try to create a space that is and contribute to making more spaces that are, you know? Right. And what advice can you give to women out there dealing with the same thing right now? You know, maybe they're stuck in an industry where they feel the same way you did, or, you know, maybe they're just struggling with leadership that doesn't, is understanding of that. So what advice do you have for them in your experience? 
The biggest piece of advice that I can give is just to find your tribe. I think that that is the most game-changing thing that I've done in my career is just build. And I'm not even talking about career connections necessarily, but I think surrounding yourself like as a young woman who is ambitious and is like, it's going to be hard. There are going to be challenges. That's just the reality. But taking the time to surround yourself with other ambitious women at different stages of life who are going for it, who are willing to be transparent, who are willing to be vulnerable. You should have people in your life who you can talk to about salary negotiations, right? You should have people in your life who can relate to these experiences and who you can just kind of like touch base with for a gut check about whether or not something like feels a little off or is really off, right? Like you need these people in your life who can hold you accountable and who can uh, help you see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and remind you what you're working towards when you forget. And these are also the women who are going to potentially open doors for you and people who you can open doors for. So I think staying grounded with the, a group of people that reminds you why you're doing what you're doing uh, is, is probably the most important thing that you can do. Yeah, 100%. And how did you find those people? Like, was there a specific way that you identify those people or certain traits that you look for? Or was it just like through common conversations? Like, how did you identify your tribe? Yeah. So I think the two, there are a couple different factors, uh, <laughs> I would say. But I think, I think that humility is really important. I look for people who are really, I love surrounding, with, surrounding myself with people who are passionate about bettering themselves. And I think that being intent on making yourself better requires a certain level of humility to acknowledge the spaces in which you can improve, right? And so I would have a hard time considering someone a part of my tribe if I don't know that they are working on that with a steadfast devotion. If I, if I don't know that like, if I call them out, if I call them higher, that they will respond well. And if I don't trust that if they see an opportunity for me to grow, that they'll present it to me with the same eagerness, that is a deal breaker for me. And I think also just for someone to, to be a part of my tribe in, in this way, a part of my support system in this area of my life, uh, there has to be also just a similar level of ambition. I think that when you look at your friends and you look at the way that they hustle and you look at the way that they, the integrity that they bring to their work, that's probably a re reflection of what you're doing with yours. And so surrounding myself, like I have a lot of friends who just aren't hustling in the way that I'm hustling. And it's not that I don't love them as much. And it's not that we're not just as close, but would I include them in like my tribe that we're talking about now? Are these the people that I'm going to call when like work is stressful? Are these the people that I'm going to call when everything just goes to shit and I have to figure it out? Like probably not. I'm going to call the people who I trust are actually fighting for and working towards the same things that I am and get it. Totally. I love that. And I think that's so important to just surround yourself with people who will hold you accountable and who will push you to your edge because so often, you know, like you were saying, we surround you surround yourself with so many different people in your life and you'll have those people who aren't in the same level and then you'll have those people that you look up to and you aspire to be. And then you'll have those people that are your, your tribe, what you're saying, like who are going to push you and you're going to push them. And there's going to be that back and forth, which is what we're trying to do with the squads, which I hope will, you know, be the result of that is by creating that community um, within She Factor of, you know, your women who will be that tribe for you. And it's so hard to find those women out there. Absolutely. I had uh, one of my 
really good friends who is 100% in my tribe. She, she fits all of those descriptions. Uh, she just graduated with her MBA in May, I believe. And she was telling me how all of the women, it was an executive MBA, MBA program, and all of the women in her program came together to just talk about, to have a conversation about their salary expectations after their MBA program. And it was like this very conscious decision that they made as women in this program to give each other access to that type of information where our tendency is to feel so closed off about our the way that we talk about our careers, the way that we talk about money. And by not having that extent of vulnerability where we're actually being willing to equip each other with the context of, of how we should be entering these salary negotiations, how we should be advocating ourselves, uh, we're like holding all of us, all of us back, right? Yeah, it's like everyone's being held back by not having these conversations, not just you as an individual. Totally. And I was so, I don't know how we let ourselves believe that letting people in and like really relying on other people put us somehow at a disadvantage when it came to our careers. Uh, But I am so, so grateful for the women who are kind of paving the way in terms of vulnerability, in terms of leaning on each other, in terms of being able to really uh, ask the questions that we want answered and work together to move towards a solution. I think it's incredible. And so, yeah. Awesome. I love that answer too. I just, yeah, the people you surround yourself with is one of the most important things you could ever do is by choosing those and being picky about those people. I wanted to kind of switch directions and talk about your new role. So what are you most excited about? What are you most nervous about? How is it going? How is that transition? It's so fun. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so fun. I'm incredibly excited. So I'm the new marketing director at Brooklyn Boulders, uh, which is an incredible company. We're celebrating our 10th birthday in September, uh, which is crazy. And Brooklyn Boulders is a rock climbing company. The first of our gyms went up in Brooklyn in 2009. And so it's been kind of on the forefront of changing the conversation about rock climbing ever since then. Uh, And now I would say to kind of answer your question in terms of what I'm most excited about, Brooklyn Boulders is actually introducing or in the process of introducing, we just opened our first gym in uh, Boston in March, but we're introducing a new fitness modality called BKBX, where we've developed a sustainable approach to fitness that basically lets you focus on your brain and your body to see the results of your training before you ever get bored or burn out. It's data-driven fitness programming, premium recovery amenities, and then a unique collection of studio classes that are actually based on the different movements that your body would go through in adventure sports. So you get a lot of the results of like these crazy sports that people do and the ways that people train all within kind of like a gorgeous boutique fitness experience. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's been really cool to to work on. Um, I actually got to contribute to building the brand and designing the logo in my work at Six Things. So Brooklyn Boulders hired Six Things to do some of the early stage brand work. Since joining Brooklyn Boulders, I it's actually the first opportunity that I've ever had to contribute to actually writing a marketing plan and bringing to life uh, a company that we got to brand through six things. And that has been uh, incredibly exciting and just fulfilling in a new way. That's amazing. What are your goals for the next couple of years? And what do you foresee your life looking like in this new role and down the road? What are your aspirations? Yeah. So we are within Brooklyn Boulders. I'm so excited about what the next 
five years is going to bring. We have so many launches coming up and I'm really excited to bring both the traditional Brooklyn Boulders facilities and the new BKBX concept to as many cities as possible, which will be where I am spending the bulk of my time probably over the next five years, if I had to guess. And beyond that, I'm trying to tap into my creativity a bit more. So I've been, I had been painting and writing music for a while and had gotten away from it and kind of the the chaos that is life. I'm sure that everybody can relate to that. But the last couple days, I have gotten back into carving out at least like 30 minutes of just dedicated creative time in my day, which really just changes everything. I feel like it grounds me and gives me, it opens my eyes and gives me perspective in every other area of my life. And so uh, five years from now, I hope that I have painted so, so much and written probably a novel or something. Like I, like I would love to just find a real outlet for my creative side. And work-life balance is something that I've never, that I haven't begun to master. I think when you dive into entrepreneurship, what was I, 23? Like you don't, you never figure that out. I was, I was working crazy hours for these early stage startups and then was working for myself. And now, which is constant, right? You never take a break or a vacation uh, when you're an entrepreneur. And now working at Brooklyn Boulders, I'm probably working harder than I ever have before. And so uh, eventually I would like to think that five years from now, I'm, I'm like working a comfortable 40 hours a week and just like managing things, but that's unrealistic. Who knows? I mean, I feel like that's such an interesting topic, like work-life balance, because I mean, that's like a huge part of what we're trying to fix at She Factor is like that holistic approach to your life and finding the the time to do things that you love. But then it's like you go do something you love and that you're passionate about, you find a career in it, and then you never want to take work-life balance because you're so passionate about what you're doing. So it's like, what even is work-life balance? Does it even exist? Like, (laughs) you know, I'm... (laughs) Right. Yeah. I don't know is the answer, but I uh, have been trying to be way more intentional about my weekends and using them for things that are not related to work in any way, uh, unless I absolutely have to. When I was working, when I was doing six things, I would work seven days a week, like every single week. And I wasn't working 10 hour days, seven days, obviously, but I would there was not a day where I did not spend at least two hours sitting on my computer and doing work. And I think that that takes a toll over time. And so with since joining Brooklyn Boulders, I've been definitely, I've been working more overall, but I'm trying to be really, I'm trying to hold myself accountable to doing that work Monday through Friday as much as possible and giving myself the weekends to, to be with friends and to sleep in and to exercise and to go to yard sales and like to, to just uh, get out of this routine that I can get in in the week and remind myself that there are other things that make me happy because I do feel so constantly energized by my work. Uh, and I think that's kind of what you were speaking to before is like when you love your work and when there's this puzzle in front of you that you don't want to put down because you're so close to solving it. Like how do you also remind yourself that you need to eat? you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, no, that, I, that is a big thing. And, um, it's funny. I've been on this diet for the last 10 weeks and it, I, w- I would hesitate to call it a diet. It's not really a diet, but lifestyle change. Yeah. And part of it is, I mean, it's with a, a coach, you have like an individual coach and part of the, the thing is you have to eat every three hours and it is oh, wow. the hard, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Like 
it's just because you get so into your routine and you get so into your work and you look down and it's been five hours or eight hours and yeah. you're like, I haven't eaten a thing today. So it's been yeah. one of the most challenging things I've ever done. So it's not even a joke, like the whole eating, like find, finding time to eat. Like it's not. I have to put it in my calendar. So <laughs> yeah. no, I always, I mean, I joke that you can tell how busy I am by how skinny I am because if I'm when I'm busiest with work, I just will forget to eat. Like I should probably copy you and put <laughs> put actual meal times on my calendar. It's funny though, because I've been eating every three hours and I've lost like 25 pounds. So Wow. I mean, they say though, they, that's what they say. It's, health, it's a healthier way to, to feed yourself. Yes. So it's been weird. I was never expecting that because I used to be the same way, like the skinnier I got, but because I just wasn't eating because I was so busy. So totally. I just feel like it's a good reminder to like, take care of yourself mentally, physically, you know, emotionally. And we oftentimes forget to do that in this crazy world. It's so easy. And I think that more than anything, like we put these deadlines on, like all of our work deliverables have deadlines, right? Like anything that you need, feel the need to do for other people, for external sources, like there's always, there's usually some type of timeline, but for the things that you are going to do for yourself, it's so easy to put off, even when it's as simple as feeding yourself, when it's as uh, like complicated as taking a vacation or like booking a spa day or taking like two hours from your day to actually get like the workout that you really want is like, that's an argument that I have to have with myself to like, <laughs> to be like, what is the value of this work? What could I be accomplishing in my inbox in those two hours? Do I have time to go sweat? When hundred percent, like I should, but everything else just feels more time sensitive. I think that especially as women, we're so trained to to push our needs as long as we can. And we run ourselves so ragged doing it. <laughs> yeah. I was literally just talking to somebody um, this morning about the same thing. It's like, as women, I feel like that maternal instinct that's within us, like it reflects outwards, even if we're not moms yet, or even if we don't have families. It's like, we need to take care of everything else and everyone else before we actually take care of ourselves. But then on the flip side, like when you do actually take care of yourself, like for example, you know, I'm doing this, this lifestyle change. I'm moving. I'm loving my job and loving my work, but I'm taking care of myself. I'm the most productive I've probably ever been because I'm actually taking care of myself. So it's like this catch 22 of finding this balance of, okay, my instinct is to do every for everything for everyone else first, but I need to focus on myself and focus on my well-being so that I don't go absolutely crazy. <laughs> I was just, uh, I follow Morgan Debon, who's the founder of Blavity. I don't know if you're familiar with her, if you follow her on Instagram, but uh, she was just posting, she's gone on a little bit of a fitness journey. She's like an incredible uh, entrepreneur and has been on a fitness journey herself. And she, I guess, posted, I missed the first post, but she had put something on her stories, like encouraging other entrepreneurial women to work out. And I guess she got a lot of pushback of people being like, where am I supposed to find the time? And she actually shared on her stories, like, I think there were six or seven actual statistics of the ways in which taking some time to work out will make you better at your job. Like, will just realign the chemistry in your brain to like make you more alert and like balance your energy levels and make like, you know, give you, I think there was something about confidence even in there. Uh, and we just forget these things. We forget that there are tangible benefits to taking care of ourselves and that it's not just about feeling good. Not that that isn't enough of a reason, but that we're making every other area in our life better too. Exactly. No, I completely agree. That's awesome. I'll have to go check that out. 
I wanted to switch the attention over to social media for a second because you do have such a big, big following of people that have been following your journey. And I just kind of wanted to touch on that. So how do you stay authentic and true to yourself on social media and keep that brand for yourself? So this would have to start with a confession. (laughs) I used to be such a liar, like in life. I was such a two-faced person. I think that my tendency is to be a people pleaser and to want people to like me and to want the the people who I'm interacting with to get what they want from me, uh, which I think is a very natural tendency <laughs> as well. But for me, it, it got to the point in college, I think it really peaked where I just knew that I was a different person to different people based on who I was talking to and what I guessed they wanted from me. And it wasn't subtle either. <laughs> and it got to a point as as it does when you weave a web of lies that it all kind of blew up in my face and I had a choice to make. And I think that this, I mean, again, none of this is rare or surprising really, but I honestly was 21, I think, my senior year of college and just made a decision that I wasn't going to lie anymore ever. And not that people who are inauthentic on social media are lying, but I have just kind of extended my challenge of vulnerability to myself to all of the extensions of myself, right? And to me, that includes the version of me that I put on the internet. I don't want to ever have to like keep track of a lie again, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So to me, it's just really about putting myself out there. I read a lot of Brene Brown. To me, it's it's really just about taking every opportunity to to challenge myself to be authentic. And I think at the at my core, I'm scared that if I stop, then I'll go backwards and like regress into the less happy, less honest person I used to be. And I would rather like beat people over the head with my transparency than ever go back to like to what it was before. It just wasn't a it wasn't a good way to live, you know. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like it's hard when there's all these pressures around you to, especially if you're a people pleaser, like conform to those pressures and be like, no, like I can be that person for this person. I can be that person for this person. I can be this different version of myself on social media and then be this version of myself in work and this version of myself at home. But it's exhausting to, like you were just saying, like it's like a web and it doesn't necessarily even have to be lies, but it it just is like a web of authenticity and um, like integrity. Like what do you do when no one's watching? It's exhausting and it doesn't feel good. Like, like I, I think, and here's another factor for sure. And something to be real about is that I get the best responses when I am honest about something that was scary for me to talk about. I say that to say that I'm definitely not immune to just like the dopamine that goes off in my brain when I get a bunch of... <laughs> Of likes, um, but it also says something that people respond well to someone being real and sharing something that might have been scary for them. Like I think, more than anything, there's a need for us to all lead with a more vulnerable, vulnerable foot, and I think that's because our fears and our insecurities and like the dark things are honestly what we have in common more than anything else. And it's so easy for us to think that these experiences and these insecurities are what isolates us instead of what brings us together. Uh, And the more we like cloak it in shame and keep it to ourselves and don't talk about it, the longer we're able to tell that story of like, I'm the only one who feels this way. And I'm the only one who's scared of this. And I'm the only one who's insecure, you know, when in reality, like it's all of us, we're all going through it and we can go through together. It's so amazing to me. I've, I feel like I've had this come up a couple of times on the podcast so far and talking about social media and it's 
it's positives, it's negatives, but I do feel like, yes, it started as kind of like a negative where, you know, you could edit your photos and you could portray someone different. And I feel like it's made the switch in like the last year or two of like, no, I'm going to be authentic and real about everything I'm going through this. And like the people who have the most success are the people that do share like their darkest moments, share what they're going through because people want to see that. And I think people are sick and tired of seeing like the Instagram influencer fakeness and they want to see like a real entrepreneur or a real businesswoman or even like a real stay-at-home mom who's just struggling with anxiety or mental health or just like who they are. And I feel like it's so much more appealing to women than the models and the traveling and the glamour of Instagram. Yeah. I mean, I think about who I follow. I follow people that I root for. I don't follow people that I want to just sit around and be envious of, right? And I think that the factors in terms of someone that I like, I'm going to be genuinely happy to see succeed, that them smiling and them enjoying their day is going to make my day brighter. That someone who like, or someone who has something meaningful to say, like it's so much easier to root for someone when they let you in. And when you're, when they're honest with you about like, about the fact that it was hard to get to that victory. And so the people who just show this like very polished, very one-dimensional, very like, I, I mean, I'm not anti-filters. I'm not anti-editing. Like, if you want to make yourself look cute on the internet, go crazy, right? That's great. But I think when that's all that you do, it's hard to root for you. It's hard to, it's hard to be excited for your victories. You got to show, you got to show it all. It's that substance. Like there just needs to be substance with it, which I think our world has been lacking for so long. And like people are finally like back on this trend of like, no, substance is great. Like we want to root for each other, which I am so into. In your opinion, kind of veering off of social media, just more into like general life questions. But what do you feel like is the most important thing that you've learned in your 20s or maybe like the most important moment you've had where like everything changed for you? I mean, obviously, the one that you just said kind of resonated with me, like, no, I'm not going to lie anymore. This is who I am authentically. But was there any other important, like something really important that happened in your 20s that kind of changed your perspective? Sorry, that was a really winded question. No, it's just a huge one. I always joke that I've lived so many lives in in my 27 years and that, and I feel like my life has changed many times in my 20s alone and and that has always been because of a beautiful lesson and so there are just so so many. On top of just trying to be a more authentic and vulnerable version of myself, which I I would definitely say is like the biggest thing. I think the other thing that I've learned in my 20s is that people aren't entitled to me or my time or my energy and that I am not mean to say no. Like (laughs) that me cutting people off from me is sometimes the right move and needs to be done or is often the right move really and needs to be done with kind of like a lower threshold. I think that as young girls, especially we're, we're taught to tolerate so much in the way that people treat us and the bar that someone, the line that someone has to cross in order to be cut off and for us to feel justified and for us to feel like we weren't being dramatic or we weren't being mean is, is just so high, so extreme. And I think for me, the last two years, I've had to really wrestle with the fact that if my life isn't better for having someone in it, right? Like if you're not bringing positivity to my life, if you're not challenging me, if you can't be a part of that tribe, right? If you don't bring a smile to my face, 
then you don't need to be an active part of my life. And that that's not mean that like, there's nothing mean about it. Uh, but there are people who do need to be an active part of my life who I do, who I love encouraging, who are constantly encouraging me and building me up. Right. And so, and time that I spend with people who don't fit that description is taking away from time that I can spend with those who do. And so really just not feeling bad about setting those boundaries has been a, a game changer. I think just like coming like the root of all of that is like time is so precious. Like you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Like who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you going to surround yourself with people who make you a better person and who encourage you to be your best version of yourself? Or are you going to surround yourself with people who like I know that I've really had to make a conscious effort in the last couple of years to cut out people in my life that like cause me anxiety, like where I have to put in a ton of effort into the relationship and I'm not really getting anything in return where they don't support what I'm doing. And it's hard to cut those people out of your life because you feel like you need them there. But to just like know that there's something better and brighter and happier on the other side of that. And that's your best version of yourself is it's hard to admit, but at the end of the day, you you make the cut and you're like, wow, life is so much more incredible because you just negativity is like a cancer. It seriously is. It really is. Uh, I've definitely learned how sensitive I am to it. I, I didn't have the language for that. I think I, I live in California now, or you mentioned it earlier, but so I was, was in Boston, grew up in Jersey, now live in Los Angeles. So it's been a whole journey there. Why, there. But since I moved to LA, I've become very into astrology and energy and all of it. Uh, and I had no idea. I'm a nightmare. Jersey Casey was very anti all of this and the fact that I believe any of it is uh, an outrage. But I've realized how sensitive I am to people who don't bring the right energy into a space. It, like, it, it can throw everything off. And so, and I think some people are more sensitive to it than others. And some people don't realize that they are in this really negative place. And some people don't have the tools to snap out of it. So it's complicated. But at the same time, it's like, if you know that someone else's spirit is going to bring you down, then like you have to do right by yourself to protect yourself from it. It's the same thing that we were talking about before with like working out or taking the time to eat. Like you just have to set yourself up for success in all of the ways that you crave it. Totally. And like understand that you can't change people. And like the only person that can change is like deciding that they want to change or you deciding that you want to change. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Casey. We so enjoyed having you on the podcast and hearing your story. And everyone here at Chief Factor wishes you the best of luck in your new endeavor. We're super excited to see where you go. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me on. It was really fun chatting with you. Looking for more than a weekly dose of She Factor? Find us on social media at The She Factor or head to our website, thesheefactor.com to keep up to date with all the trends on our blog and daily She email. Still want more? Subscribe on our app for access to live events near you, special offers from our brand partners, and lots of exciting tools to help you launch your life. Thanks for listening and see you next week.